0: Once Jesus and those who were with him were walking along the road. A man said to Jesus, I will follow you no matter where you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let dead people bury their own dead. You go and tell others about God's kingdom. Still another person said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, Suppose someone starts to plow, plow, them then looks back, that person is not fit for service in God's kingdom.
1: Please stay standing and let's pray as we begin this morning. Father God, you are truly above what we can imagine. You are over all. You see all, you know all, and Father, you know our hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask you today to fall on us. I ask you to touch our hearts and make it our hearts tender toward what you desire for us. And I pray that you would help us to receive from you what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are certainly glad you're here. And I see a few folks maybe that I don't recognize. And we're glad that you are here this morning. Um, I had, you know, last week I, I shared with you some some redneck wisdom. And um, I had people coming out. It's like, man, what's my redneck name? So... I decided to give you just a couple more just to appease... The kids? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, all kids can be dismissed. I think they already left. Um, they knew. <laughs> they knew the preacher starts. It's time to go. Uh, and so I, I, I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check David Simrad and see what his redneck name is. And um, just so happens that if you want to call him his redneck name, it's Goober Clementine. Um <laughs> Sorry, David, I didn't make that up. Uh, and and this one, I looked up Cliff's name, and uh, it so fits you. Uh, Buddy Tractor, I mean, he's a, he's a farmer. Uh, and Jerry Yoder is not here. Somebody call him this week and tell him that I looked up his name. It's Jerry Yoder. So um, somebody call him and let him know that he's living the red le- life and and actually, his wife was the one that said, "I really want to know what his name is, so somebody call him this week and tell him, "You know now, okay." Um, I just want us to kind of recap this morning we 've been talking about mantra, uh, and if you're if you're new or maybe haven't been here the whole time, a mantra is that just that simple phrase." that we can repeat over and over again, helps us, reminds us of things that are important, maybe will motivate us to go a certain direction, challenges us uh, to move in, in, in a positive way. And we've been talking about mantra. We started, you'll remember, we started talking about the first mantra is, we have to simply be the branch. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And so the first mantra that we need to develop as uh, believers is, I'm just the branch. I'm not the vine, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not the end all, I'm not the fruit, I'm just the branch. And Jesus says, if you abide in me, I will make you bear fruit. The second part of that was, the second mantra was catch the wind, and the idea behind that is we as followers of Jesus are like the sails of a sailboat. The boat is really kind of the church, and we are the sails, and our our purpose is to raise our sails so that we can catch the wind of the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit is the one that moves us. Not a good idea I saw on TV, or not a not a uh, you know a business best practice. But this is God saying we want the Holy Spirit to be the one driving us and moving us in a specific direction. Last week we talked about wreck the roof, and the mantra was, the, and the idea behind the mantra was. Um, it was the story of the of the men who came with with their friend brought their friend to Jesus and dropped him through the roof and the idea is that I need to do whatever it takes absolutely whatever it takes to bring someone to the feet of Jesus so that they can be healed of whatever infirmity whether it be emotional physical spiritual and so That mantra is wreck the roof. That brings us to this week's mantra, and you can tell by the plow on stage, it has something to do with that. Our mantra for this week is grip the plow. Grip the plow. It's interesting that the Bible uses a lot of agricultural language uh, as it, uh, uh, you know, those metaphors about uh, our lives being like fields that are tilled and seeds are sown on, that... Uh, it even says in scripture that uh, God is prayed to as the Lord of the harvest. So there's this mentality of the farming mindset, the agriculture mindset, all through the word of God. And the the gospel is talked about as seeds that are to be planted. And, and each one of us is not just to be a witness of those things, but we are to be the ones planting the seeds. When it says plant seeds it's like that's one of the things that you should say okay that's part of my job it's my job to plant seeds and i think i think for us living in a rural setting we kind of understand that mentality better than city dwellers cuz you talk to to a city dweller and talk to him about fertilizer and seed, and they're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. They, you know, they have no clue what it takes to pr- prepare uh, ground for planting, and they have no idea this this whole mentality, and so I think we have maybe the opportunity for a better grasp at this than, than some folk might. Uh, you know, country folks understand uh, the difference between uh, working hard, sweating, getting dirt on their fingers, getting grease on their hands. Uh, as opposed to the guy that all he ever does is sit behind a desk and, and writes notes and, you know. Uh, country folk have a better idea at this. And, and I, think, I think that's why I like living in the country, because I like the mentality that we're not afraid of hard work. And that doesn't always hold true, but I think for the most part, people in, in rural settings are more likely to not be afraid of hard work and to get their hands dirty. Um, I I can't remember ever knowing a farmer who could ever get all the dirt up from under his fingernails, or all the grease. I mean, you look at a farmer's hands, you look at Jack, look at at Cliff back there, I guarantee there's probably some, some grease around the cuticles, because when you work hard like that, it just doesn't, if that's your life, it doesn't ever go away, does it? You just always have it. And, and so there's something to be said about us in this rural setting. So our mantra is going to be grip the plow. Um, I want you to check out this plow that I found. Um, actually, Nancy Dagg helped me out. Um, we went over to the, to the uh, uh, museum. Thank you. Um, and I don't know if you've been over there. There's some cool stuff in there. We got a personal tour. Um, but I, I want you to, I don't know, how many of you have ever seen one of these? How many of you have ever seen one of these being used? How many of you have ever put your hands on this and actually used one of these? A few of you. Awesome. Those people will testify to what I'm about to tell you. This is not work for a lazy man. This is hard work. When and 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 depends on on the style. I, I enjoyed watching some videos about people doing this. This is a particular lightweight plow. It's made of wood mostly, except for the. Uh, the actual plow portion that goes in the ground, but you'll see up front there's a place to hook on, either a mule or a team of horses or, another, or a horse. Or uh, There are some who have used oxen, uh, cattle-type things for plowing. But when you... Well, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever been behind a mule? When you stand behind a mule, you don't always know what's going to happen up there because... For one thing they rarely do what you want them to do so when when you're standing behind this plow what would happen is if you got a horse or a team of horses you'd have some reins that were usually tied together and they would they would flip those over their shoulders it would hang under one arm so that it wouldn't fall off and uh, not around your neck so if the mule takes off you're you're not totally uh, decapitated but You would put that around you, and and you would be tethered to the mule or the horses, and you would tell them to get up, and then it would be your job to either tilt this or push down, and it depends on on how the ground was, how hard you had to work. If the ground was soft, it made it much easier, but hard ground was hard work, and I guarantee you, these people that stood behind these, they didn't have soft hands. They probably had blisters that turned to calluses and their hands were hard as rocks because this is not easy. Gripping the plow is not necessarily an easy thing. And I want us to to get the picture of this. When Jesus tells us to grip the plow, he's not saying, come and sit in a recliner and watch me work. If we have to grip the plow, there are going to be some times when our hands get blistered. There are going to be some times, but if we stick with it, we're going to develop calluses. And then we're able to grip the plow even better. And it's so much a principle that the more you open yourself to do what God calls you, the better you get at it. I guarantee you, if I went out and started plying with this, it would be a mess. Because I haven't done it before. But I guarantee you, give me a day, I'll get it figured out. And... The more we work and do what God calls us, the better we get at it. The more equipped we become to do that. So, gripping the plow is our mantra. Now, this mantra may not be the most enticing thing. You say, well, "Wait a minute, you're, you're, like, let's let's say grip the remote because <laughs> I got that one down already. I I know which I can do it in the dark. I know which buttons to hit. I I don't even have to move. I just kind of I may have to reach over and grab it, but." That would be enticing, but that's not what Jesus talks to us about. He says, we need to grip the plow. And, and we need to know going in, that if he asks us to grip the plow, he's asking us to go to work. I'm not going to apologize to you for that, because this is what God says. And so I'm going to tell you, like he spoke to me, I'm going to tell you, like he says to you, we have to do the work. We have to do the work. Gripping the plow is a call to work. It's a, t- it's a call for us to personally engage, not just show up and sit on the sidelines, but I'm a part of this, and I'm going to be on mission with God, both here and around the world. I want you to take a look at this map. I can't find where we live. It's up there in the middle of that dot. You know where that is is up there but I want you to notice the colors on this map all of the darker blue areas are areas where at least there's some minimum to some places maximum spreading of the gospel okay i want you to look at this area in the in the north of africa and across asia here that's light colored there's hardly any influence of the gospel there and i I want us to keep this in mind because there may be somebody here that God's calling to go beyond Galesburg. And there's a big world out there that still needs Jesus. And I, I, want, I want you to have that in your brain. Maybe God needs me to be one of the ones that goes. Maybe that's the way you could grip the plow. Maybe that's how you can serve Him is be the one that says, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to give up. My life for the sake of the kingdom. I'm willing to grip the plow. I'll go and speak to those people. The truth is, it's very easy for us to come and attend church. It's simple. Because, for one thing, our family's all there. If I don't show up, they're probably going to give me grief. Or, um, I just come to church, I, I enjoy the music, I like to sing. And the reality is, it's easy to attend church. It's not as easy, however, to be on mission with a church. Have you ever run into someone and maybe you met them and you asked them, hey, where do you go to church? And they, and they list your church name. You're like, I've never seen you before. Those are obviously people that are not on mission with Jesus. If you have never seen them in your church, probably they're fringe at best. I want to challenge us to be the kind of people that are on mission. And the goal for everyone in the field is to be workers on mission together. Ministry isn't about calling a preacher to come and preach every week. This is what I do. I love to do, but this is not the important work of the the church. I I know it's not. The important work of the church is how you grip grip the plow, and be involved in your area of influence. Some of you know people that I'll never be able to speak to. I may not ever meet them. God's saying, I want you to join hands with the whole church and work at things together. What's God calling you to do? Maybe God's been speaking to your heart for some time, and maybe maybe He's saying, you know, I think you should uh, step up and be a Sunday school teacher. Or maybe you should... Um, Put yourself out there a little bit and work on developing a communion meditation to do. Maybe maybe God's saying you should be a volunteer to help um, feed the kids on Wednesday night. Maybe God's calling you. What is it that God's calling you to? I believe that God's been speaking some things to some of you, and I believe that maybe you've been saying, not now. No, I'm not ready for that. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I want to challenge you to think about that. Our mantra comes from Luke chapter 9. And I want us to see the context of this story. Adelaide read it for us and she did a wonderful job. Um, This story takes place in the midst of the, the part of Jesus' ministry where he's still very popular. I mean, everybody likes him so far. We're going to see soon that that changes, but everybody likes him, and everybody wants to follow him, and so we have an example here of three different people who want to follow Jesus, and what we find is if we look close at this, they have something in common, all three of them. They want to follow Jesus in such a way that it doesn't cost them anything. They want to follow him. Yeah, I want to I'll follow you. But they don't want to be charged anything. They want to be close enough for benefits, but not close enough for them to be required anything of them. They want to show up, but they don't want to step up. Jesus explains the kind of relationship that he wants. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the book Not a Fan. Kyle uh, Eidelman uh, is a fantastic young man who, at the time that he wrote this, was the teaching pastor of the fourth largest church in America. Okay? I want to read to you what he says in the introduction to this book. It's a Thursday afternoon. I'm sitting in the church sanctuary. It's empty, but Easter is only a few days away. More than 30,000 people will likely come to the weekend services, and I have no idea what I'm going to say to them. I can feel the pressure mounting as I sit there, hoping that a sermon will come to mind. I look around at the empty seats, hoping some inspiration will come. Instead, there's just more perspiration. I wipe the sweat off my brow, and I look down. This sermon needs to be good. There's going to be some people who only come to church on Christmas and Easter. We call them creasters. I want to make sure that they all come back. What can I say to get their attention? How can I make my message more appealing? Is there something creative that I could do that would be a big hit and get people talking? Still nothing. There's a Bible in the chair in front of me and I grab it and I can't think of a scripture to turn to. I've spent my life studying this book and I can't think of one passage that will wow the creasters. I consider using it the way I did as a kid, kind of like a magic eight ball. You ask a question, open up the Bible, and point on the page and whatever it says answers your question finally a thought crosses my mind i wonder what jesus taught whenever he had big crowds what i discovered would change me forever not as a preacher only but as a follower of christ i found that when jesus had a large crowd he would most often preach a message that would likely cause them to leave in that empty sanctuary I read one such occasion in John chapter 6 Jesus is addressing a crowd that has likely grown to more than a thousand Jesus has never been more popular word has spread about his miraculous healings his inspirational teaching this crowd of thousands has come to cheer him on after a full day of teaching Jesus knows the people are getting hungry you know the story he feeds them and they're all happy and everybody's satisfied they go after dinner the crowd says we don't want to go home We're going to stay here because there could be breakfast. Um, These are big time fans of Jesus. And so they wake up the next morning and they're hungry again and they look around for Jesus. In other words, where's the meal ticket? But he's nowhere to be found. These fans are hoping for an encore performance. They're hoping for a breakfast buffet. But he's not handing out any more free samples. In verse 26, Jesus says to the crowd, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, but because you saw miraculous signs, not because you saw miraculous signs, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus knows these people are not going to the trouble of sacrifice because they're following him, but because they want free food. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Suddenly Jesus is the only thing on the menu. The crowd has to decide if he will satisfy, or are they hungry for something more? John 6, 66 says, from this time many of the disciples turned back back and no longer followed him. He goes on to tell how this changed his life and he decided that from this point on not only would he never preach a message just to get people to come or to come back but he would speak like Jesus spoke. And when Jesus spoke he said I'm the bread of life, you eat of me. And it says they went away. God's calling us to a point where we partake of him and he calls us to work. And we want to be really clear here as a church, this is not a pull yourself up to the table and have a, have a feast this morning. That's not what this is about. I'm, glad, I'm hopeful that God speaks to you through this, but this is not just about you getting your fill so that you can go out and say, yeah, I was in church, preacher, he kind of stepped on my toes a little bit, but I made it through. That's not what this is about. God is calling to you today to say, will you join me? Will you walk with me? Will you grip the plow and not turn back? We don't want to gauge our success here by how many attend. We want to gauge our ses- success by how many are working actively in the kingdom. That's what, that's what success is. With God's people who are willing to step up and do what they're supposed to do. In the text, Luke 9, the heading there... Is the cost of following Jesus? We got three people. The first guy says, Hey, I want to follow you. I'm going to go wherever you go. I'm with you. And Jesus said, Do you, do you realize what that means? He said, I, I don't have, I'm homeless. Uh, we don't have hotel reservations. We may be sleeping in the ditch. People are going to hate us. They're going to despise us. Are you sure that's what you want? And basically what he was saying is I want to go wherever you go as long as it's kind of in the direction that I wanted to go. You men and women will you men will appreciate this even more but you women will appreciate it too. Uh, it's kind of like me asking my wife hey, um, where do you want to go eat tonight? And she says I don't care, you pick. And so I say, well, how about, how about Mexican food? Well, no, my stomach's kind of growly today. I don't think I want Mexican food. But wherever you want to go is fine. And so I say, well, um, what, about, what, about, uh, what about Chinese food? Um, I've been kind of wanting some egg rolls and stuff. And she's like, no, I had Chinese the other day. <laughs> but, but really, you pick wherever you want to go. Um, you guys have had this discussion haven't you and it goes on and on and finally you're just like okay, we're going to McDonald's um, <laughs> it's because you've given up at that point um, I'll follow you wherever you go as long as that's where I want to go and I think many of us are in that same boat I'm going to follow you Jesus I love you I'm going I'm to do whatever you want but just can you take me where I want to be? Can you maybe make it easy for me? I guarantee you when you grip the plow, you're not stepping up to something easy. You're stepping up to hard work. There's another man. He says, you know, I, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my father first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury your dead. And at first glance, this seems like, whoa, that's kind of harsh. Guys, dad just died and you're telling him you can't even go bury him? Most scholars agree that this wasn't the case at all. His dad wasn't dead yet. He was just saying, Once my dad gets old enough and dies and I get my inheritance, I'll be ready to go then. And Jesus saw right through that. And I think for some of us, that's, that's our call. Well, not yet. I'm not quite ready yet. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow, but I'm, I'm not quite ready yet. Third person in the story. The person says, well, I want to follow you, and I'm going to follow you, but can, let me go say goodbye to my family. And this seems like a reasonable request. Let me say goodbye. And this is where Jesus says a very harsh statement, Almost. Anyone who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is not worthy. Let that sink in for a minute. You know what happens when you're plowing and you look back? You end up with furrows that look like snakes. One of the key things about plowing with one of these babies is you line that tree or that fence post or what up right between the ears of that mule or the horse and you don't ever lose sight of that. You keep your eyes focused on the prize very much like what, Jesus, what, what Paul says, or well, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes. So when you're gripping the plow, I guarantee you a father comes out to check on his son who's plowing the field and the, and the rows are like this. He's like, you turned back, didn't you? You looked away. And so many of our lives are filled with this problem that we've set our sights and said, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve you. And we look back. I want that to sink into you. What he says, anyone... And just to explain, so everybody knows that means everyone. Anyone who says, I'm going to follow you, and grips the plow and turns back, is not worthy. That's heavy. That's heavy. But God doesn't necessarily want us to be happy with our surroundings, He wants us to be willing to serve Him, whatever the cost. That's what He wants. I'll tell you a story of a man named Scott. He's about 50 years old. In high school, Scott first heard the calling of Jesus to come follow him. And his heart was softened and he said, Yeah, you know, I I do want to follow you. I'm I'm just not ready right now. Once I get into college, I'll, I'll follow you and I'll be obedient. Well, he got to college. As God does, he pursued him and said, What about now, Scott? Will you serve me now? And he said, he went through that same feeling that God was really tugging at his heart to step up and and serve him. And he said, well, I'm about to graduate and there's a lot on my plate. I've got finals coming up. Um, Let me get this settled and get into a career and then I will serve you. This is a true story, by the way. And so he graduates college and he gets his career and gets settled in and like God does he came back to him again and said how, how about now Scott will you follow me and he said well I just got married and we've got a kid on the way let me get this whole parenting thing under control and as soon as I get that then I'm yours I promise I'm yours I, I'm, I'm going to be sold out to you He got married and had kids. And now we come to the point where he has finally decided to go all in, but it's almost too late. See, his wife left him. Now he only gets to see his kids every other weekend. And he always has time to make it to the AA meeting because of his alcohol addiction. You see... So many times we put off God's call in our life and we say, not ready yet, not now. And so many times it becomes too late. So much life passes. Now it's not that God won't still use God, but can you see how much of His life slipped away from Him? And God's calling every one of you today. I believe that He's calling you today. Will you... Will you step up and be everything you can for me? Will you go all in? You see, the land of tomorrow is where you find addiction, divorce, unfaithful spouses, prodigal children. Today is the day for us to make a decision. Psychologists have defined something that they call the bystander effect. Have you heard of this? It's something that they've noticed in our society. It's become even even worse in recent years. The bystander effect is something where something bad will happen and people will just stand by and do nothing. In Kansas City a few years back, there was a lady who was being attacked in a, in a public parking area, and dozens of people surrounded and watched. Nobody helped. Four people videoed it, so they had some evidence to give to the police, but nobody helped. And the bystander effect says this: I'm not going to do anything; somebody else surely will. I think the bystander effect sometimes has permeated the church. No, I've, no, I can't. I can't. Somebody else will step up and do that. No, I'm I'm done with that. So surely somebody else is, God's probably got somebody else primed and ready to do that. I wouldn't want to get in His way. Somebody else will preach. Somebody else will volunteer. Somebody else will give. Somebody else will sing. Somebody else will serve. And we fall victim to the bystander effect. The invitation is this. If you consider yourself a part of this church family, I want to call you to make a commitment to grip the plow. I'm going to, uh, unashamedly, I'm going to say, God needs you. He wants your hands to serve. And I'm going to call you today to decide to grip the plow in some way. Ultimately, your life is determined by what you say yes to and what you say no to. What you say yes to and what you say no to. So I'm going to invite you to say yes today. It's real easy to try to ride in the middle and say, I don't want to make a commitment now. I think I'll just hold off. I'm going to challenge you today to say yes. That's not how you want to define your existence. I'm just going to hang in the middle and see what happens. I started reading a book a few weeks ago. It's called called Atomic Habits. Atomic habits. And it sounds like, well, what in the world is that? I mean, and I didn't understand it at first, but atomic is that particle that's so small you can barely see it. I mean, maybe you can't see it. I don't know, under a microscope. But very small things. And it talks about how if we will begin to make very small changes and choices in how we live, what we do, That over time, those atomic choices become astronomical. It's like taking off in an airplane from LAX and one degree off on the plane takes you to, uh, you know, DC as opposed to, to New York or whatever. That's what I'm talking about. Small things. And this morning, I want you to consider small changes. you in the bulletin this morning there was a sheet of paper this size says how will I grip the plow I want every single person in this room to have one of those so if you if you got a bulletin for your family and you don't have one I want you to raise your hand these guys are going to make sure everybody gets one of these so if you do not have that how how do I how can I grip the plow raise your hand I want every single person to have one of these. The way atomic habits change us is that we make a really small adjustment. Maybe for you an adjustment, and one of you guys bring me one of those, I forgot to grab one out for myself. Maybe, maybe it's just a really small decision. I'm going to not just sit. I'm going to bring someone with me to church. Maybe I, maybe I, uh, maybe I give. But I'm going to I'm going to change just a little bit. I'm going to give just a little bit more to the kingdom. I want Donna to come and start playing, and I, I want I want you guys to look at this sheet. Everybody got one. I want you to look at this. This is not a family decision. This is an individual decision. So everyone has to decide for themselves. And you say, well, I'm, I'm only 12. I can't... De-. No, no, there's stuff that you can decide. And there's ways that you can engage in gripping the plow. You say, well, I'm 78 and I'm, I'm like, no, no, no. There's a place for you to put your hands on the plow as well. I gave some ideas here, okay? These are just ideas, I commit to end hunger for one person on the planet. Man, what a, what a great thing that would be. I commit to increase my giving. I commit to meet all my neighbors by the end of the year. I commit to read God's word daily. I commit to pray daily for God to interrupt my schedule and love people one at a time. I commit to fast one day a week, asking God to move in our church. I commit to invite at least one neighbor into my house uh, uh, once a month for a meal. I commit to ask a co-worker how I can pray for them. I commit to be the one, one of the ones that's sent out by my church. The list goes on. You can read that. I want you to take this list and say, okay, God, and I'm going to give you just a minute or two. And I, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you calling me to? What are you calling me to? And then I, at the bottom of there, I want you to write on what your decision is. And don't, don't get worked up over this. This is not a commitment card that we're going to hold you to that. It's just you saying before God, listen, I'm willing to grip the plow. I'm willing to be part of this. I'm not just going to be a, a bystander, someone sitting in the pew on Sunday. I'm going to do what I can to grow the kingdom of God. So we're going to take just a minute or two, and I want you to pray to God, and I want you to ask Him, God, what are you calling me to? What are you asking me to do? I would love for everyone to write on that paper what it is God's calling you. It doesn't have to be huge. Will you do just a little more now than you did yesterday? I would love it if you were brave enough to write your name on that. The church is not going to see that. I'm the only one. Those are, and then I, I want you to fold it in half. And I want you to either drop that in the offering plate or make sure you get that to me before you leave. I just want to, I want to see if God is moving you. I believe that He is. I believe God wants to do something amazing in Galesburg, Kansas. So if you're brave enough, write your name on there and then fold it so that no one can see. And I promise you, no one but me will see these. And I want to begin praying over these. And I want to see God do some amazing things in Galesburg. We're going to invite the band to come back up and we're going to sing our commitment song and this morning, if God is moving in your heart, if he has moved you to a point where you...
2: So as we come to this time of communion, uh, I I've been studying a lot about this uh, this idea of of rest and not just like you know like getting a good night's sleep. Um, while I'm sure that's a part of it, but what what I've really been studying about is is the seventh day of of creation. And so as you guys know, you know six days of work, and then God rests on the seventh day. And and the Jewish culture really like. Sees that as a very important thing. You know, they call it Sabbath, as you guys probably have heard before, and Sabbath is a really, really important thing. They go out of their way to actually find um, as much time that they can for the day to not work. And then some of the listening and some of the reading that I've been doing about this topic, they talk a lot about how much prep they have to go into to actually take the day off making sure they have enough food in the house to be able to go that whole time. And it was even more so you know, back before there was refrigerators for the first century Jews and, and before that. And they had to put in a lot of work to be able to make sure that they had enough for that whole day. Well, there was one uh, particular time where in Scripture we actually have a, a moment for the Sabbath that was a very special moment for the Jews. And and it was captured in uh, Mark chapter 14, verses you know twelve and, and on. And and we know that as, as the Last Supper. But for the Jews and for Jesus and for his disciples, it was a Passover that was then followed by a Sabbath. And it was a very special moment. One of the things that I'm starting to find out kind of the opposite to how we see time and and culture is you know we see our like the beginning of our day is the morning when we wake up when we grace the world with our eyes opening and stepping into it that's when the day starts for the jewish culture it was the exact opposite at night was when their day started they went to bed with hope that the morning was coming they went to bed with hope that light was coming into the world and man, that starts to change. You know, the hope that, that the Jews had wasn't just in a, like a happenstance of uh, maybe the light will show up. But they had put their hope in God, you know, the creator. And Jesus says this in, in Mark chapter 14, verse 12. He says, or th- this is told to us. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? Man, that must have been a really humbling thing to be a part of. Three years, the disciples were following Jesus and and learning from Jesus and and growing in their faith in God. And, And they asked the master, where do you want to go for Passover? And they get told instructions of going into the city. You know, you'll find somebody carrying a jar of water, you know, follow him and, you will say to the owner of the house uh, that he enters, teacher asks me, where is the, my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover of my disciples? And he'll show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So now we have this setting of the Passover, something that was so special for the Jewish community. A time to remember where God saved them from the horrific uh, death that, that came for, as the 10th plague for the for the Egyptians and they remembered how God passed over their homes <laughs> and they got to have that with the lamb they got to have that meal with the Christ verse 22 jumps ahead to to what we get to remember here this morning while they were eating Jesus took bread we had given thanks he broke it And gave to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave to them, and they all drank from it. And he said this in verse 24. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives where Jesus would be captured and be sentenced at night and all the time the disciples hoping for the morning and unfortunately the next day comes and Jesus goes to the cross willingly giving his life on the cross the next day comes again nothing has changed but then on the third day as we all know that morning the hope that was in that empty tomb that's the hope that we get to celebrate with communion, when we take the bread that's resembling that body that was broken for us, and we get to take the juice that resembles the blood that cleanses us. It's it's something that is revolutionary, changes everything. And I pray as you come to communion, you see the hope that is in what we're taking in you know, that special night for the disciples where they were able to have both the Passover and then the Sabbath right after. It's something that we get to have just a glimpse into. But they are seeing what we get to do and seeing how wonderful it is that every single week we get to remember that sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now as we are preparing to take communion. I pray that we are preparing our hearts that we are forgiving those that, that have hurt us this week and, and that we are praying for forgiveness to you for the things that we've done against you and, and that we're preparing our minds and, and letting go of the, the stress and the worries that come along with our everyday life and that we're able to focus and keep our eyes on you. I pray as we take communion that we remember that sacrifice that was given on the cross and we pray all of this, because of what Jesus did. Amen.